Um, I've got a short message I want to share with you, and then after that, um, it's it's kind of pointing to um, just some some uh, logistics of where our church is headed and kind of the future that we we are working on and praying towards. And and so I think you guys will be excited to hear this information. Um, I wish I had more concrete details to share with you, so uh, we're just going to share with you everything we know. I want you to walk out of here knowing what I know in regards to uh, what we're talking about, the, the future of our church, um, and so we'll get to that. Um, first of all, I, I want to say um, Bonnie, lovely Miss Bonnie back here, got baptized last week, and... Uh, very, very cool. She did it in the late service, if my memory serves me right. Uh, and so I thought it'd be cool for you guys to know that. And she wanted to thank you guys for supporting her and for you guys who were there in the late service and saw that. Thank you for supporting her. Uh, very neat. Um, and we're trying to be high tech here. And we're trying to give you a good reason to play on your phone. Um, and so uh, if, if you want to know, and you're, I know every single person here is going to go to the picnic with us today. Right. Even if you didn't plan on it, right now you're going, yep, I better go. So, yes, that's your application for this message, okay? Go to the picnic and celebrate with us, um, and we'll give you some more details at the end so you don't forget them now. All right? So I'm going to pray, and we're going to look at Luke chapter 15, uh, the very beginning, 1 through 7. Uh, we're going to look at this little parable that Jesus taught. God, thank you for gathering us here to, together this morning. God, I pray that you would be honored in everything that's said here. God, I pray that um, we would have your heart and your vision for what you've called our local church family here to do and what you've called us individually to do. Um, God, I, I pray that you use your word in a powerful way to speak to our hearts, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I love this parable. This, this, for many of you, if, you've, if you have some kind of church background or you're a little familiar with the Bible, you, you, this one will found, sound pretty familiar. <laughs> um, it's actually a time when Jesus gives three parables, and what most people consider his most famous parable is the third one, the last one. And it's all addressing the same issue. And, and he's so passionate about this, and, and, and uh, he wants people to get the point that he's making so clearly that he gives three different parables in a row trying to reveal the heart of God to a, a group that's complaining. Um, and so here's the context a little bit. Jesus is responding to criticism of who he's hanging out with. And who he's allowing to come and hear his teaching and, and even kind of be a part of his ministry. And, and the, the churchy people, well, I don't know. Okay, technically you can't really call them churchy. But the religious people, the Pharisees, the, the people who think we are the ones who best represent God. And we're the ones worthy enough to represent God because we're so stinking good. And we're so awesome at following all these rules that we come up with. And that was kind of the attitude, the self-righteousness, um, and, and Jesus saw right through that. And he, and he saw their heart, and he saw that they didn't really have compassion and love for people the way God wanted them to. They were just religious and full of, um, puffed up with all this pride because they had felt like they were better than other people 
in the way they were following God. And so Jesus, he often combats this, and it seems to be the, the biggest issue where he, he kind of uh, becomes the most passionate in, in the, the stories that we see in his actions and in his teaching against this group of people, the Pharisees. And I know we, we talk about it, we hear about them a lot, but back then they were the heroes. They were the ones, you know, the kids, you know, the junior high kids in their in their room would have a poster of like one of the pharaohs, you know, like those were like heroes. And, and so it was pretty shocking also, first to the Pharisees, that they would kind of get this kind of, you know, blowback from Jesus, like, wait a minute. Uh, but also from the, the people going, oh, my goodness, Jesus is saying that to them? Can he do that? And the, the criticism is specifically that he's hanging out with a bunch of sinners, and even tax collectors. And we, we kind of laugh at that. And Well, but then we also identify. We're like, yeah, that's pretty bad. But, but tax collectors specifically were seen as traitors to their people and to their community because they worked for the occupying force. And that was one of their prayers and one of their hopes is that God would, would let them be their own sovereign nation again and not under the thumb of Rome and, and here they're contributing to the problem. I mean, they're, they're, you know, the worst of the worst, kind of, is how they were seen. And so, but Jesus hung out with tax collectors and, and, and sinners. Um, you know, the Bible shares that we're all sinners. Jesus points out that these Pharisees who think they're so pure and clean, that they have a lot of impurity in their hearts. Um, but it means, you know, specifically people that... People know their reputation, and, and it's very well known, or they, they just have settled into a life where that defines them, uh, this sin. And, and, and then Jesus gives these three parables. Um, and so that is the context, and it's so important to know that. Um, so in Luke 15, 1 through 7, and it does kind of set it up. And it says this, The tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of, of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. They had a big thing about rituals surrounding eating and what that signified that you would actually sit down and share a meal with someone. You were kind of giving them uh, a status, you know, that was equal to you. And it goes on, and Jesus tells this beautiful short little parable. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. And, you know, I, I don't know if you, you, oh, hey, I've heard that story. And then the next one has to do with a lost coin. And then the third one is often known as Jesus' most famous parable, the prodigal son. And they all have the same theme, and they're all pointing to the same idea of this is the heart of God towards people who are far from him. This is the heart of God, who pe- especially towards people who know they're broken and, 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 and are seeking him. And so um, 
the first thing we see just in this for these seven verses is the churchy people, can I call them churchy people? I know church doesn't exist yet, but the religious people, what, what are they kind of signified as doing? Like, here's who they are. They're complaining because it's not centered around them. Um, and so that's the first, this is the reaction of Jesus based on their attitude, and that's what it is. Um, and here's the thing. I, I, our culture says, you know, don't complain, you know, and that sounds like a pretty good thing, um, and don't judge. But yet, Jesus will go on, especially in other points of his ministry, it'd be easy to point out him complaining and judging. And it's towards these people. And so there is an appropriate time to complain. Why would you complain? Not because of your own selfish desire and your, your desire to be puffed up and want the attention towards you. And, and because you think you're better than others and you're mad that other people are getting attention. Or, I mean, that's why they're complaining. But Jesus is complaining about them because of their attitude. He's complaining about them because they do not have the heart of God. They don't have the compassion of God. They don't understand God's view of people. Um, and so your kids can walk away and go, hey, the pastor said it's okay to complain and judge. Um, not exactly the point. But as we look at some more, more of the points of the story here, um, the good shepherd, which is Jesus, which is God, he, the basic story is he leaves the 99 and he goes after the one. And the one who strays away, um, sometimes this is the point when we talk about what sheep are like. Sheep are very prone to wander. Sounds like a hymn, right? They, they are prone to just go on their own way and they don't easily return to their group. I was going to say herd. What is it? Flock. There you go. <laughs> Complicated word. Um, they don't easily return. They just kind of wander. They do their own thing. They easily get sidetracked. And so Jesus, being the good shepherd, there's a lot in that story of showing the heart of God that he goes after and he initiates. And, and, and we see that as we've been walking through the book of Romans, that, that God is the one who came down. God is the one who initiated making this relationship uh, available uh, for us to have with God. Um, I love this picture um, in, in Well, it, it describes Philippians 2, 6 through 8, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. And it shows what Jesus really did. And it begins, and it says this, Though he was God, not to be confused at all in this passage of, of what's to come up, that, that he was fully God, though Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, not his divine nature, but, but definitely some of the privileges as he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. And so Jesus isn't just, you know, teaching parables and he's just all stories and he's He's, you know, got this high ideals of, of what he's telling these religious leaders to follow. 
if, if we know his very nature and how he came to us, we know that, that he's living out what he's trying to teach and what he's kind of sh- trying to show um, in this parable. But I love this, that, that what does the lamb in the story, what does he contribute to being rescued? I mean, that's, that's a great way, I think, to sum up what's happening in this scenario. This little lamb, wherever it's gone, wandered off, uh, the shepherd, the good shepherd, is rescuing this lamb. And, and what has this lamb done to be rescued? Nothing. <laughs> it just got lost. <laughs> like, that's all it did. It got lost. And, and even in the, in the return home, you know, it wasn't like, okay, and so for as punishment, you have to walk backwards back to the flock or, or you know, I'm not carrying you. No. It shows, you know, some of these details I think are important that, that Jesus is giving to show a full picture of who God is and what his attitude is towards rescuing people and bringing them into a relationship with him. That the lamb does nothing. It says that he slings it up on his shoulders and does everything um, and takes it back into the flock. Um, so, what... Basically, as I look at this passage, how does this apply to our future as a church and really who we are as a church is I want to be accused of what Jesus is accused of here. I'm okay with that. And I hope you guys are okay with that. I'm okay with whoever else, other people saying, your church is weird because you go out of your way to try to reach out to people who might not be that interested in church people that are far from having any understanding of who Jesus is, people who have been taught like a different uh, false understanding of who God is and how to approach him. And you guys like make a big deal and you like go out of your way to, to, to focus on them. And a lot of people have that attitude when it comes to church. Like, why don't you just like focus on the people who are here, the 99? And, and that is... The shocking, and I think Jesus, this is like such, it's a natural tendency to just want to say, well, who cares? Just one lamb left. Why would I, let's just put our effort and our energy on these people, not some rebellious uh, lamb that, that wants to wander away. Let's just focus more on the people who are here. And that is, if you look at the context, this isn't some stretch of trying to make, you know, people feel like, oh, we have a heart for people who are not here. But, but that's it. That's the whole point. That's the entire point of this parable, is that Jesus is accused of giving attention towards people who shouldn't be in a religious setting, according to the religious people, shouldn't be trying to approach God and listen to the teachings of Jesus. And Jesus, you know, he goes out of his way to make sure we understand this, um, so the when, do you catch in this little short parable also what the celebration, uh, the, the huge celebration, that that, that that is the conclusion of this, that the, the highlight and like the, the cool thing in the story is that then once this, this one who has wandered off and not a part of the group is rescued, incredible, awesome, beautiful celebration. He goes on to say, okay, not even kind of just a a celebration having in the little camp, you know, as they're wandering, eating grass in the hills. And, you know, in heaven, you know, there is incredible celebration 
of that, that type of person, that type of effort to go out and reach somebody who's not connected and not a part and doesn't have a relationship with God. And so he gives us, then he switches gears, Jesus in the par- parable, and says, man, here's an eternal perspective. Here's, here's a spiritual perspective of how beautiful this is ab- about what, what God wants us to do. And so that's what, um, you know, I'm trying to make this as short as possible because I want to share all this information about kind of where we're headed in our future. But that's the kind of church I'm trying to do my very best to lead. And it honestly confuses people sometimes. Like, wait a minute, we put so much effort towards, it seems like, the people who aren't here yet. Ah, that's right. We exist. Here's a phrase that we like to use. We've stole it from churches and stole it from other churches. But, but ha- to, have a heart of, to have the heart of our church be an attitude, I guess, you might, might better put, that we are a church that exists for the people who aren't here yet. And you think about that. I mean, the people who know Jesus, who, who have entered into a relationship with him, and that is secure and solid, and nothing can, can ever take, take that away. That's, you know, um, we're, we're called to then grow them and help them walk in Jesus uh, more and, and help their influence and their giftedness that God gives them and everything help reach even more people. Um, but really, while, while we're... Uh, why God leaves us here, I've always, you, you guys have heard me say this, you know, it'd be kind of cool if you, like, accepted Jesus and then, like, you just got sucked up to heaven. Because, like, why are we left here? You know? Like, let's just go to heaven, right? We know Jesus now. We've accepted this free gift of salvation. Let's just do this heaven thing with Jesus. But one of the primary reasons he leaves us, and as Jesus ascended into heaven, we'll look at this. uh, I think that's the only other passage we're going to look at this morning, is he gives us this great commission. And that is to go and reach people and then to teach them what Jesus taught. So um, I'm okay being accused of what Jesus was accused of. Um, And... uh, it is our natural tendency. Um, one of our church vans, you have to, you have to kind of steer right to go straight. And our natural tendency is to focus more on us and the people who we've already reached and that are church family. And every church has a tendency to just drift more and more and more towards the 99. And so what do you have to do with that when you're driving? You can't just go, oh, well, I'm just going to go into this, this field. <laughs> you have to overcorrect. You have to, like, go out of your way and make sure that, that you do whatever you can to actually go a little bit more in the direction of the one. And so that's kind of part of what we feel like we have to do because we know. And, and there's so many examples that we could point to. And, and, and we see it ourselves as a church that's six years old. Like, oh, hey, uh, you know, we used to be more passionate towards trying to reach new people. And now, you know, we, we put a lot more effort on just, you know, um, just the 99. And there's nothing wrong. Like, we aren't going to ignore the 99. You know, the shepherd doesn't come back and say, hey, I got this one. You guys can just go run off now. Um, no, they're there, and what do they get to experience? Incredible celebration. Wonderful celebration about being connected to and being a part of um, 
uh, a one being reached. Um, so, let me give you a few illustrations just to share with you the picture of the kind of church I've always uh, felt like God wanted me to lead. Um, and, and you can sum it up. Here's another good illustration. All pastors steal all their illustrations. I would give credit if I knew the first person who ever said this. But sometimes people view church as a cruise, like a cruise ship, right? And you're like, oh, hey, uh, where do I want to go? Do I want to go somewhere that's kind of hot and warm because I'm cold in the middle of the winter in Utah? Or is it the middle of the summer and I want to go up to Alaska? What kind of food does the cruise have? You know, what kind of entertainment does that cruise have? Are there a lot of people on that cruise boat? Because, you know, I, I kind of like my space. You know, don't you, anybody here been on a cruise, show of hands? Are those some of <laughs> the things you consider along with how much do they charge for this cruise? And what do I get out of it? Like so many people, that's how they view church and approach church. Like if you're church shopping, that's kind of your mentality. Like, hey, what programs are, are here for me and for, for my family? And, and, and what, what, hey, what is the food like on a Sunday morning? <laughs> Uh, what, you know, it, it's, it's focused on me and what, it, do I like the way, you know, what I'm, what, what I'm here? It's just focused on us and, and think of, I, I like the, uh, the opposite view. I think the more biblical view is that it's, it's really like we're on a battleship. Uh, one, one pastor said, no, it should be like an aircraft carrier where you're like sending people out on different missions. So that may be a good illustration. But just think, we recently celebrated a big anniversary of the D-Day invasion, right? And think of those, those, uh, those soldiers heading to go on an incredible mission to save maybe the Western world, definitely Europe, you know, uh, democracy perhaps. Um, and they're going on a mission. Are they sitting there going, hmm, I wonder what the weather's going to be like on this, on this ship? I wonder what the food's going to be like as we're storming the beaches of Normandy. I wonder if we're going to have, you know, if, the, my, if my uniform, how comfortable it's going to be. I mean, those things somewhat come into play. But the overarching thought and idea is we are on this incredible mission. And it's not about us. It's about our friends and family at home. It's about our, our, our uh our allies and our, our friends around the world. It's about conquering evil. And, and, and truly, that's not as, as, as incredible as that is, and, uh, you know, a thing in history. Like, what we're talking about, the spiritual battle, and what we're supposed to, the attitude we're supposed to have is so much greater. But, but do you see that huge distinction in how you view church? So think, oh, I come into this church, and, and what I'm going to complain about is if this church doesn't focus enough on the broken, sinful, messed up people like I used to be, um, like many of you used to be. I know you guys. <laughs> um, that's the complaints I want to hear. And, and sadly, I don't mean to gripe as a pastor. I've got it pretty good. Um, I feel blessed to be a pastor. But that's usually on the suggestion box. Notice we don't have a suggestion box. That's not a suggestion box back there. <laughs> that's not the idea. Um, 
but it's suggestion boxes for churches you could imagine or, you know, emails that leaders and churches get. Do you think it's geared towards, man, how can we do this mission more effectively? Sometimes it really is. But the overwhelming kind of comments are off. And I'll be honest, not really in our church. So that's awesome. You guys are awesome. Um, but, but just believers in general, we can tend to drift towards, hey, this is about me, and I want something more comfortable. And church is about my personal preferences. And if this church isn't giving me my personal preferences, whatever that is, let me go shop for a different church. And so um, I just hope if we ever get into that mentality, we'll lose our effectiveness of, of doing what we feel, what I feel. It's not just what I feel. It's what Scripture uh, really commands us to do uh, in the Great Commission. Um, I love, <laughs> I have mixed emotions about this, but I go to the coffee shop a lot. Some of you guys might see me there. And they have the best tagline ever. Have you, you guys know their tagline? I'm like, you guys, that's a church tagline. Can you do that? It's the coffee shop. Love all, serve all. That's like an awesome church, you know, motto. So I can't steal it because they're just a few blocks away. But anyways, <laughs> I was laughing a lot. <clears throat> we, uh, Chris and I just refinanced and uh, can I share business on stage? I guess I can. So we went through uh, America First Credit. And this isn't a bad thing about them. But at the bottom of one of the sheets I got, it said Members First. <laughs> and I thought, oh, hey, that's the opposite <laughs> of what we're trying to go for, you know. Um, and, and it's a mentality, love all, serve all. You're think like that is the culture they're trying to create with the people in that organization. That that's what we're about, and and so maybe as you go in as you know um, a customer, you don't fully embrace that. You just love that you're in that place and that that's their their attitude. Um, but but the credit union, I just thought that was funny. Like members first, and so often that is our drift. That's our natural tendency. Well. <laughs> Who, who pays to turn the lights on here? You know, if you're, you know, a, a, a dedicated member of your church, you, you know, and so uh, that's the person who pays for this establishment. It should be your, your preferences and your desires, and, and, your, and we can just so quickly go into that. So we've done everything we can to try to not be that kind of church. Um, the Great Commission. Let's read that. We can find it. It's not on my page. I've got it up here somewhere. Did I skip it? There it is. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them, uh, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The people storming the beaches of Normandy, they were not fuzzy on what they were trying to accomplish. They knew exactly. They're not like, well, we'll just go and let's see kind of what happens and maybe we'll do this or maybe we'll do that. There was a very clear mission and, and objective in place. And, and I think a lot of believers may not know that this is our clear objective is, is that while we're here, 
Jesus, as he leaves, he gives us this great, great commission, this great mission. And so if you want to say, hey, I really wanted to be a believer that's on mission and not just cruise ship, because here's the secret. If you have kind of the cruise ship mentality, you will be disappointed in church. Eventually, something kind of won't, you know, you don't like that so much or that decision or it's not focused on whatever, you know, your preference or you wouldn't have made that decision that a a leader made or whatever. And there will be disappointment. And the beautiful thing about this parable is on the flip side, if you do what Jesus calls us to do, and he has, he kind of shares and teaches this upside kingdom mentality, just that we think differently. Last week, the week before, we looked at Romans 12, how that is the secret to discovering what God wants in our life, to discovering his will and that it's good and that it's pleasing, but we have to renew our minds, that we have to continually align our thinking with God's thinking. And it's an ongoing, uh, the Greek in that, in that whole passage is, is saying it's this ongoing thing that it's not a one-time deal. deal. And, and, uh, and so... Uh, if we do that, the beautiful thing about that, that parable is that's where the celebration takes place. Yeah, it's awesome to, to have some cool thing that you wanted at church. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. We're about to talk, talk about some things that you might get really excited about. Like, hey, that's going to be awesome. I'll enjoy that. That's not bad, but that's not the mission. That's just kind of like a side benefit. And, and what Jesus tells us is the real celebration and joy comes in reaching the one but our natural sinful selfishness will think no what will really excite me to be a part of a church is if if, if it was just totally focused on me and that's not the case that's where you'll be miserable and never be satisfied and always feel like something's lacking and so that's there's so much in that just one little uh, parable that he gives and so this is kind of a weird transition in my notes. I'm like, how to do this smoothly? I don't know. But what I want to do is share with you, based on that understanding and that idea, what our future holds. Um, and, and we don't know fully. Uh, some of these details are not solidified. And so we ask you guys to pray, especially pray for individuals who have been, have been asked to lead certain uh, teams to help make decisions. Um, but four months ago or so, um, we, uh, we, gathered as, we gathered a bunch of our church leaders together, and we spent two days. Does that sound right? Some of you guys who are with us. <laughs> two days uh, <clears throat> talking about how we can be a church really on mission, how we can be the most effective uh, Lifestone church here that God has called us to be. And, and I think God's called all sorts of different types of churches to reach different people in different ways. But how has God called us, and how can we most effectively reach the one and be a church that continually knows that we have to, to lean towards and correct towards the one because we're going to naturally drift towards the 99? And so we talked about, you know, all, we, we really based it on the Great Commission and what, calls, what God's called us to do. That yes, he's called to make new disciples, and then what do we do with them? Then we're entrusted with this incredible, beautiful process called discipleship, which is simply, as the Great Commission defines it, teaching people to obey. It's not teaching people to know and understand, but actually teaching them to put into practice in their life the things that Jesus taught. 
That's discipleship. That's how it's defined. That's how Jesus uh, laid it out. So how do we do that? And we look at our culture and our area, and it is so unreached, it's incredible. The numbers are shocking. I mean, many of you guys know that six years ago we came here to start a church specifically in Harriman because it was the largest city in the U.S. without just a Bible-based Christian church of any kind. I mean, make that a very broad category. And uh, that was when they were about 25,000. And we moved here, many of us. Who's here? Who here came with me from Texas? Oh, my wife did. Good. Oh, (laughs) Rebecca. (laughs) Cody and Keely. Um, We came from a town called Weatherford. And I, if I remember right, I think it was 250 to 300 just Bible-based Christian churches in the community. I mean, it was so shocking to us to go, wait a minute. In, in our, uh, Cody always, always calls it the planet of Utah. But, I, but it is a state in the United States. We're like, oh, my goodness. Um, and so that's what drove us out here we felt like god was calling us because there was so many ones out here there were so many people to be reached that the good news needed to be proclaimed more in this area now harriman specifically is pushing 50,000 um, and that is kind of uh, where we've centered kind of the heart of of what we've done and and we've been there you know we started out in the rec center and then we went went to the uh, providence high school for a little while and um and then as as god incredibly and generously gave us this property uh, we started to to kind of reach out a little beyond harriman and so as we're we're studying and looking at what god wants us to do we found that there's about just within five to ten minutes of our church there's about a quarter of a million people about 2,500 people. And you can do the same thing. There's a few other little churches around, but not many. Not many, just Bible-based Christian churches. And, um, and so the need is just, we've not even come close. As, when, since I've been here for six years, I've seen a lot of new churches start. But we haven't even come close to keeping up with the rate of growth here. So we're losing ground, and we started out with, an, with, I think, the nation's greatest mission field. And so it's really incredible where we are and, and what's happening here. So we prayed as a group, what does God want us to do? What's a specific goal? Because uh, without having some real tangible goals, we won't be prepared to reach the people that God wants to, to reach. And I think that's a tragedy of a lot of churches. They simply, if God wanted to bring 100 new people into some church, a lot of churches, there's like no way they could even accommodate them in any way. We had one Sunday like the, that here, I guess it was three Easter's ago, where there was about 100 people on, on, on our first Easter here who couldn't even come into the building. They just kind of sat out in the parking lot and waited for the after events. And the after events we don't care about. Those are just to point people and trying to get them to hear what Easter is really all about. And so um, the number that we threw out there as a five-year goal was to see a 1,000 people in our services on a Sunday morning. And that scared really, well, I'll tell you, it started out with 2,000. And, and I was like, I got to go change and I, because I wasn't throwing out these numbers. I was going, well, okay, yes, there's a lot of people to be reached here. And, and 
um, okay. Um, and, uh, and then, and, and we prayed about it and we looked at some things and, and, and we, we, uh, the, the reality is um, the way our culture is and how busy we, we are, um, usually the, the national average is people come to church once every four months. And so if you look at a congregation and you've got 100 people coming to church, there's probably 400 people on average that say that's their church home and will come at least once a month. And so as we started looking at those things, our church, you guys are much more faithful because we, we get you guys to volunteer. I think that's a big key. Good job, Allie, Kristen, Kaylee, Rebecca. Um, and so, um, you got, so even if we cut that in half, having 1,000 people coming every Sunday would probably mean there were probably about 2,000 people saying, yeah, that's my church home, Lifestone's my church home, and that we were trying to disciple and continue to reach. And so we threw out that crazy big number, and then we started kind of working back and going, okay, well, how do we faithfully prepare for anything close to that? And so we put together, I'll do this, I'll try to do this quickly, uh, two teams. Um, and we have both of the team leaders here, Charlie back there. Charlie, wave at us. <laughs> Charlie's got family in town, hey. Um, Charlie is leading our team to figure out space. Like, how do we actually accommodate physically? How do we not run into what we ran into three years ago? And, and there is just a cap that n- people will not come into your worship space. And we live in a culture, for 300 years, Christians didn't have buildings. And, and so I, I'm not, like, completely tied to buildings, but we live in a culture where it's hard for the culture to kind of connect and understand being a part of a church without having a, a space where everybody can gather. And so <clears throat> knowing that and knowing if we try to just ignore that that's a part of the culture, that it's, it's harder to reach people, we, we set out to say, well, how are we going to reach that goal? And, and, and many of you know we purchased land in Harriman. We closed on that about a month ago. And um, that's a part of, of a journey that happened a little earlier than, than this, this uh, leadership meeting, maybe about a year before that, of us making a decision. We took about six months to a year to say, can we stay where we are and try to reach people here and grow, or should we relocate? Would that allow us to reach more people? And we made the decision to relocate and for that to be a part of our future. So that decision already had been made. But as we look at the growth rate and who we hope and pray to reach, we, we figured out that there's no, it's kind of hard to jump from here to there um, to, to accommodate all those people. And so Charlie and his team um, have come up with a remodel of our current facility. So just some logistics I want to throw out at you. I think we got, got a picture here. Now some of you guys... I love my wife. You're so pretty. But she won't, she won't understand this map at all. Um, <laughs> but some of you guys who love, like, maps and charts and stuff like that, you'll, you'll, you'll understand what we're going to do here. And this may sound kind of weird. You know our tiny little building. It's pretty easy to go, oh, okay, dink, dink, dink. Um, but on July 22nd, we've got a crew from Texas who are going to help head this up. And, and we're going to reach out to you guys to, to help with it as well. Um, but basically, the preschool area, which has been overwhelmed. There have been Sundays when I go in there, and I look, and I'm not trying to pick on Charlie, but hey, we'll talk about Charlie again. I see him on the floor, and it's like ants all over him. 
and they're just everywhere. And I'm like, how do you fit them? And my poor mother-in-law. And, um, and so we are creating another space for preschool. And, and in this, we're able to divide the preschool and have it much more age-appropriate, too. Because at this point, I think we have, Allie, do we have two-year-olds? Or no, three through kindergarten. And so three-year-olds often, I mean, they're just still learning to talk and stuff. And then you've got kindergartners who are in school and the curriculum because they learn about Jesus and they learn about the Bible. It is not daycare. And, and so as they're doing that, it's much more age-appropriate if we can split them up. So this is going to help the age-appropriateness and then create two rooms for our biggest growth area, which is our preschool area. Welcome to Utah. So... Um, <laughs> So this may sound weird, but the preschool room will become the lobby. Now, what that also does is make more flow because we'll use both main doors because half our people probably park in our parking lot, half our people park over there, and we can come in both ways as they'll they'll both feed into the lobby, which will be right in the middle of the building. The current lobby will then be the kinder, or I'm sorry, the uh, kids' life. I know it started with a K. Kids' life room, first through fifth. And then we will create two rooms and a hallway out of the current kids' life room. All right? And so the babies will not be trampled. That's the other thing that we were dealing with. Terrorized and trampled. You know, you think of like a Godzilla movie and like these like two-year-olds are like going up to these, you know, six-month-olds and... Um, <laughs> And there's some age appropriateness that is going to be helpful for that too. Um, not ideal square footage in any, you know, like we'd love to double all the square footage here. But that is going to help, we think, tremendously just breaking up those ages and allowing those classrooms to not be that full. And then there, it will flow much more as we have two entrances and exits. And so it's not a huge major remodel or anything we're just moving and shifting some walls and we think that'll help us in the process of continuing to do whatever we can at this stage they're calling it kind of the band-aid solution to to do what we can to then point to um, the next stage so i'm almost out of time but that's our band-aid solution and then as today we go out to a picnic and look at the land Um, let me share with you what we envision that looks like. And I'm giving you all the information we have. Uh, Basically, to build what we would like to build, to accommodate the kind of numbers that we pray God uh, uses us to reach, um, it would be probably a three to four million dollar project. So, unless one of you guys... (laughs) um, Many, many churches spend an incredible amount of their budget and their ministry dollars that you guys faithfully give on buildings. And there are a lot of churches that are recognizing there's kind of been a a perfect storm that's come together of people aren't giving as much, if I could just be real honest with you, especially younger generations. Uh, Older generations were kind of faithful to just, hey, I support my church. Younger generations, not so much. They want to support a cause. They kind of want it to be more direct. And, um, and so we have to, you know, kind of know where people are coming from. But 
But so there's been a reduction of giving in churches, but then a crazy increase in the price of buildings and land, especially we, we see it here in a huge way. And so churches are just, they can't operate how they used to operate. And so they're coming up with creative solutions. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to be incredibly good stewards of our ministry dollars as a church family. And so what we envision is basically using the facility the five days a week during the day, during the working hours uh, that we're not using it because we do use it in the evening for many throughout the week. But during the day, many church buildings sit empty. And so what we want to do is create something business-oriented that would pay for the building, basically. Um, And so we have some friends here who've done that. Uh, If you guys know Hope Church, um, now I'm going to forget what city they're in. I think they're in Murray, maybe. Not too far away. Um, They have created a, it's called The Salt Mine, and it's this uh, creative workspace They recognize a lot of people work from home because the technology allows that, but it doesn't allow you to be very productive when you're at home, and it doesn't allow you to have a good meeting space to to get things done. And so there's these uh, workspaces where you can can rent cubicles, you can rent even small office spaces, you can have a membership where you just have a place to work and to meet. And so they use that, and the the business um, does well, and then the church uses the facility on Sunday when it's closed. There's another group up in Ogden called the Genesis Project. Ever anybody hear that church? Really, really cool church, doing some amazing stuff. And they they have an event center and a coffee shop. And on Sunday they have this huge event center and a coffee shop to operate as a church that, that works well, but the building is paid for by the event center. So we are working with a group called MBSS. It's a ministry based no I always do this. Mission, I think it's mission-based. I wrote it down. Mission-based sustainability solutions. And they're helping us. They're doing an in-depth study as we, well, maybe not this morning. They're probably at church. But they're in the process right now of doing an in-depth study of our community, of our demographics, of everything around us to then come back to us, and they work with many, many churches in doing these creative solutions. Uh, They shared one church has a gun range in their basement. And no, we're not going to do a gun range. Where's Tyson? Tyson's volunteering. He's like, Ben, I I feel the spirit moving and (laughs) confirming. I'm like, Tyson, I, I just don't see a gun range. Because... Um, the most likely thing that we will be doing is a uh, preschool. Uh, uh, but a, a, lot of, a lot of churches run a preschool for the church. That's very common. Um, but this would be a, a large preschool, and it would be a preschool that, that included you know, after-school care. It would be a five-day-a-week preschool. Um, and here's the beautiful thing about that. And, and, and so I'm just telling you, I don't know if that's going to be it, but I think there's a high likelihood. So that's my goal this morning. I'm just telling you what I know, okay? There's a high likelihood that that will be the model, I think, that they'll suggest and that we'll follow through with. Um, And with that, we're serving the community with a great need. Uh, Our community has a great need. Our goal would be for it to be the best preschool in the entire area. Um, I'm 
it, it, our goal also would be for it to be a Christian-based uh, curriculum, and, and, and uh, so that's another way we can minister to the community. Um, and then probably along with that, something like a community space to also engage the community. So that's the beautiful thing about this model. It, it's a really good steward of your ministry dollars and pays for the facility and ongoing even after it's, it's the actual construction is paid for. But then it helps you engage with the community. And that's the kind of church we want to be. And so um, it'll probably, I, I envision it'll be, uh, have a coffee shop or cafe, indoor play area, something that, you know, we can connect with the community. Um, and so we're, we really are out of time. But I want to show you, I think this is 30 seconds. This is probably the closest model, I think, that it sounds like we have a, a high likelihood, like I say, of, um, of following. So here's a church in Texas. It's called uh, Brookhaven, and that's the model that, that they've done. They've, they've started this excellent preschool. Is there a video of it, Adam? We get an awesome faith-based oh, child Turn the center. volume off. That's professional. Yeah. Sorry, I forgot about the volume. Um, so it's, it doesn't give you a, a picture of everything, but um, it would be it would be the best preschool in the whole area. I think I've said that three times now. Um, their model, I, I think they'll show it. That's their, their lobby area. Um, this church is about our size. I think we're, we actually reach more people than they do. They have a splash pad with them uh, in front of their church. We have a splash pad like a block away, so that probably wouldn't make sense for us. But they have an outdoor sports court. Um, and their whole mentality is we're going to serve the community and, and engage the community and draw the community in with these, these different things. And so that's, I know this, that's not a ton of information. And as we get more information, we'll share it with you. But that's what we envision on this land, uh, something like that happening. And, and the reality of it happening, not, okay, we're going to try to squeeze money out of you guys for a decade, but... But, but rather go through, through this model that engages the community and, and, and uses this model to, to pay for it, that it could happen in a much quicker um, timeline. And so um, the next step would be, well, no, let me give you, I, I want to I say, hey, we're an open church. It gives you everything. We bought 2.44 acres out there. The city owns 0.6 acres right next to it. And, and they've already said, hey, there's, you know, we probably work out something real easy to, to get that to you guys. So we'd have two and a half acres out there. Uh, right now we're on like 0.8 acres is what we operate on. Um, we owe $240,000 on that land. We purchased it, purchased it for 690 No, wait. Is that right? Six, yeah, 690 So um, it's been amazing how God has provided. Um, and I already told you that, and this, is, this has been in his research, and throwing out numbers that some people might say, don't throw out those numbers. Um, but but I, I think uh, the ballpark would be a 3 to $4 million uh, project, and our current facility here is probably worth three-quarters to a million dollars. And so you factor in, like, what that looks like and how that happens. Um, yes, we, we envision this business model um, being a huge part of it, but it will take loving, generous sacrifice for, from us to say, yes, I want to be on this mission. I want to be a part of this, and I'm going to be generous, and this is something worth investing in. 
And so we will be approaching you um, when, when we have detailed plans of like, here's the picture of what it's going to look like and what we're going to build and how it's going to operate um, and all those kind of things. There will be an ask. There will be a, hey, you know, pray about if, if God's leading you to be, be a part of this, supporting this. And so um, that's what we're looking at. And, and I went way over the time that I wanted to. Um, but I hope you guys are excited not about, this is just a tool, right? It's just, you know, bricks and mortar and cement and stuff like that. And it can be kind of exciting. I mean, we get pretty excited when we build something like that, right, for our own. And it's, it will be awesome for our church family. But it's, that's all it is is a tool for the bigger picture of, of how can we use this tool and how can God use this tool to help us reach as many people as we possibly can in our community. The other thing, I'll end this, this with this, and I just want to give you details about the picnic. Um, we hope to discover a very good model that helps other churches uh, in our area specifically and helps them follow this model so that they can... I've seen a lot of churches close their door, and one of the significant things was like, ah, oh, we couldn't really get credibility because we didn't have a facility, and we hopped around, and we lost people because of that, and, and, and that can be a huge challenge in this crazy uh, market that, w- that we're in especially. And so we, we want to also think about how we can advance the kingdom through other churches by, by kind of maybe, you know, finding a model that, that works really well. So guys, please pray for that. Um, I didn't mention Allie down here. The other team that we put together is the one that's focused on how do we very intentionally and effectively reach the one and then get them connected to our community and discipled um, and dis- being discipled. That's a process that never ends, really. And so, and, and so we really appreciate Allie and, and the way that she's led to engage all that. Well, guys, I'm going to end with a prayer. I'm going to pray for our food. I know it's in a couple hours. Um, but really, I really, hey, bring a neighbor. Um, uh, we had Snyder Brothers meet, donate all the hamburgers and hot dogs. So uh, Jake over here and his lovely wife, wave at us. Hey, his family owns this, this incredible, uh, uh, what do I call it, a meat butcher shop. I went there yesterday to pick the stuff up. It's awesome. So if you're ever looking for a place like that. Um, and so we really appreciate it. Thank you guys for that. And so we'll just go out there. I know it's going to be a little warm. We won't hang out there forever unless you want to. There is a splash pad if your kids or if you want to jump in the water. And, and our land, there's a little trail that, that follows the park and then just goes across this little residential street. And boom, there's our land. And so we're just going to walk over there. And, and we're just, I'm going to ask you guys, uh, I'm going to give you guys chalk, sidewalk chalk. And I want you in families or in friend groups or life groups, however you want to get together, just get together and, and, and write out prayers, write out scripture, take time to pray, and just check out and just envision how God can use this. It's just a tool. That's all it is. We may come back with you and go, okay, we're going to sell this land and give it all to the pastor. That's our plan. And it's going to reach the one, I promise. No. I just want you to know that there's not like things, you know, concrete uh, as far as some of the stuff we shared with you. So 
But that's our plan. So please don't miss it. I think it really will be a significant moment in the life of the church. Like, hey, remember when we went out there and now see what God's done. So let me pray and you guys will be excused.